In episode one, we rode with Bliss and SO as they made their way through the early days of the Australian hip-hop scene, dropping their first album with the country's biggest hip-hop label, pressing up independent mixtapes by hand with CD burners, signing a new deal, and hitting the road on national tours, all while juggling casual employment. As our story progresses, we'll hit the studio with Weapon X to produce timeless classic Bliss and SO anthems, apply lessons learned on the road when it's time to write and record, and shoot a bunch of music videos. I'm your host, Steve Duck, and this is Classic Material, the making of Day of the Dog, presented by G-Shock. Something special about Bliss and Esso is that you could ask 25 of their fans what their favorite B&E track is, and you could realistically get 25 different answers. When Bliss and Esso put pen to pad, to quote another great of the genre, they put their lifetime in between the paper's lines. Their tracks cover all manner of personal issues, struggle, triumph, love, despair. There's something in the B&E catalog for everyone, and every fan can find something unique that resonates with them and their own personal experiences. But then there's also tracks that give you the other side of Bliss and Esso. On a personal note, this was closer to the Max and Jonathan than I knew back in the day. They were menaces. One track in particular gives us that B&E demon time. But it's also a perennial fan favourite, which has been a staple of the Bliss and SO live show for damn near 15 years. It's called Get Your Buff On. And if you haven't heard it, it's really something. I got my willy in your mouth, ho. Sydney's in the house, bro. Riding free light and we chilling on the couch, blown. And there's no holding it in. Roll out your red rug, love. Give me that dome of your grin. Ooh, I'm that stench trench digger like dirt working your lawn. Serving the words of this song. I birds slurping my schlong. Watch it grow huge now. My tower that's made of wood that just rolls through town to the flower the native Man, uh, you couldn't put something like that out in a climate like this today. The beat was killer. Like, especially for that time, man. Like, that, it was like new school and it was hitting and it was 808s and it was like bang. To me, those were the memories of the start of, the, of that whole Day of the Dog period. Get Your Buff On was produced by Weapon X. The beat was like nothing Australian hip-hop had heard before. On trend with what was coming out of the US at the time, but also just the right amount of chaotic and unhinged to be almost perfect for three minutes of bliss and SO carnage. Weapon X remembers the experience of not only making the beat, but also the first time he heard bliss and SO's twisted plans for his prize production. Each time I hear it, which is always at large intervals, I immediately, I, I think, this sounds fantastic. <laughs> How did I do that? Because I also know where I was at in my evolution at the time, and it stands out like head and shoulders. It would take me probably another two years to get to the point where I, th- I could do that kind of thing regularly again. And it also stands out to me that it was right on the cusp of everything being 808. So it got in right before... 808 just took out the idea of bass lines. So but as a song, when I listen to it, I'm transported back immediately to standing in the studio where they're, they're rehearsing these grotesque rhymes in their caricature voices, wanting to say but not wanting to be the guy to say, oh, do you reckon this is the song for this? Like, do you, do you, re- do you reckon this could have more legs if you don't, go all Spike Milligan on it. like. Uh, but then also hearing them back 
and hearing like the, the genius of how well they executed that shtick and just just eating it and just going, yeah, that's fuck, this is what it is. You know, um, there's some hectic language on those records. And, you know, in this age that we're living in, I don't, I don't see either of those guys saying half of that shit on a record today at all. Although I will say that <laughs> there was one point on there that Bliss was very, very concerned that people might mishear what he's saying when he says knickers, meaning panties, and that he wasn't saying uh, the other thing. Yeah, you wouldn't want to offend someone. <laughs> yeah, it's the last bar on this 32-bar tirade of just absolute smut. Let me just be clear. We're not saying that. So, yeah. <laughs> Every man has to have a code. As I ream, you'll Get Your Buff On is, to put it simply, a sex song. But it's a sex song delivered by two extremely creative forces with twisted imaginations and access to high-speed internet, which at the time was kind of a new thing. And it expanded all of our horizons, if you get what I mean. Times have changed drastically since then, and I asked Bliss and Esso how it feels to listen back to it now, all these years later. We were young boys just starting to get our buff on. I mean, there's definitely cringe factor, man, Like, but it's fun. And you know, the craziest thing is, it was a way bigger hit with the girls than it was with the guys. Don't get me wrong, the guys loved it. But the girls went nuts over it. It was like, the, it's man, so, it is by far our most cult, uh, cult classic requested song, by far. We've never had a song that has had so many homemade merch pieces, jerseys, t-shirts, hoodies, whatever, people holding up flags, play gay buffon, like it is, it's crazy. But the cool thing about it was, man, I always imagined it as very Benny Hill, very kind of slapstick porn. It was all set in jest and very funny and a lot of the colloquialisms that we were yeah. using back then. The colloquialisms are one of the things that really stands out. Something that really doesn't get spoken about enough is the way that Esso has, throughout his career, been able to thread niche Australiana throughout his bars without it sounding forced. In the morning, just a kangaroo. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Nah, you know what? They're, they're gifted. I asked Esso about his ability to weave in local references to tracks with global appeal. I wanted to add those things in, not to exclude anyone else around the world that doesn't know them, but to make the people who do just feel that much special. I know that someone in New York's not going to know why I'm so hungry like I'm nudged from Hey Dad, but make the ones who do know that Nudge came around only for food on that bloody show... It's going to hit them hard. So I guess being Australian, I knew things that were iconic to myself and the Australian fans, and I wanted to be able to poke in on those and have some fun. And I think, you know, as Australians, you, yeah, you obviously connect to it. While Esso's niche local references and the pair's wild animal-themed back and forth give the track a unique appeal, Get Your Buff On is remarkable for that beat from Weapon X. At that time in hip-hop, the music was changing. Producers were taking more risks. The South was far more influential, and Weapon X was paying attention. In addition to producing, he was DJing club nights around Melbourne. I'm in clubs every three nights a week, Dan, and I'm loving what's going on with club music. The Scott Stewart shit was killing, and it was an interesting moment in hip-hop as, you know, I'm hearing these incredible beats like Rich Harrison. What is this production? Like, Collar Park and... 
all these guys, I'm like, this this is incredible, Sonics, and 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 I was loving some of these records, and I'm, you know, here's I feel like I kind of did one. I'm never gonna hear it in a club. Firstly, it's gonna be an up. We're pushing shit uphill anyway because it's an Australian artist, and then they're talking this shit. I'm like, nah, it's all over. Producers Mr. Collarpark and Scott Storch had the game in a chokehold throughout that era, but there was one other producer who was changing the face of hip hop. His name was Kanye West. Now, I'm not about to say that the team jacked Kanye to create this next track because that's not the case. But Get Your Buff On sounded like the Southern Club tracks of that era. And then Till Now, also produced by Weapon X, had that soulful flavor that had become synonymous with Kanye. See, it was hip-hop that damn near changed my life from meeting Ozone in LA in 85 from my attempts to try and step on stage. They got two of my best beats I've ever done and I, to this day I still think I should have maybe kept them for myself, but... Then till now and Get Your Buff On were just things I was working on and they were made almost right when they were arriving. And if Ken Heller hadn't just moved out or had been around that week, that might have been a different story. But then till now I had a lot of additions to it. Originally it was just what you hear in the verse. It didn't have the got to understand me vocal bits and stuff. That was because basically they wrote to it and then wanted something, wanted more vocals, kind of Kanye, Chipmunky stuff. They wanted something in the chorus. So I went back and dug bits out and layered more stuff. And then that kind of bridge crescendo where it goes down with a drum roll and the big strings and the outro. I added that after that as well just because it needed it. And that was cool. For me, it was like it's an early, you know, I didn't get a chance to work with a lot of rappers because, you know, they've got to be good enough to, to listen to. And you've got to respect, have a good a good synergy and good vision that works together. Whereas normally I just give them a beat and give back to me, good, we're done, mix it, see you later. But they had good ideas and we both, want, we all wanted to make it work, make it better. So that was good. It's a great song. Really love it. That's you know. I think it's a. I still think it's my favorite record they've ever done, and I think it stands the test of time really well as well. And I think that it's got some of the most kind of honest commentary from them at that time in their career. Bliss and Esso worked with Weapon X because he was one of the few local producers who wasn't drawing inspirations solely from classic rap. He was creating contemporary hip-hop beats that stood up next to whatever was on the new DJ Clue, DJ Drama and Clinton Sparks mixtapes at the time. I think the reason that it sounds of the moment is because it was made by someone, me, who was trying to to be on the money con- like contemporaneously. Like I wasn't doing old-style beats. I was trying to make music that stood up with the stuff that I loved and that was, that was coming from the U.S., While the world of US hip-hop played a big part in shaping the sound of Day of the Dog, closer to home, it was their live show that was truly influencing the way that Bliss and Esso were making their music. As we established in the first episode, the group were 100% focused on building their fan base, pressing up mixtapes by hand, giving them out one by one, and practicing day and night to refine their live show. Bliss and Esso were always performing, but after dropping their first album, appearing at the obese block party, hitting the road as the support act on high-profile national tours, and performing in regional centres to grow their fan base, 
the group's focus on their live show began to come through in the studio. Slowly, Bliss and Esso were beginning to develop the DNA of what took them to the highest level. It was definitely more, definitely, because we toured, we had so many more shows under our belt by the time we started writing Day of the Dog. So it's just, whether it was conscious or not, it was already in us. I mean, you listen to, well, there's a party in my place, and y'all invited, the place gets chilling, and you to get the night out. You like that? Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. That, you like that? Hell yeah. That was specifically informed by the live show. We wanted that to be the callback in the chorus. Like, we literally wrote, wrote that with the crowd in mind. And get your buff on, we did callbacks. Hey, yo, fellas, yeah. yeah. There's love and love make you crazy. Yeah. yeah. We do the whole girls we and guys what breakdown. Worked live. Yeah. And if you can infuse that into the songs, then we don't have to prep them for shit. And every album we make, probably the most, even right now we're writing this new album, which is our eighth album. Mm-hmm. We're like, like literally every chorus we're writing, we're thinking about, okay, so wh- where's the crowd part? Like, wh- how's the crowd involved? Like, we want them to feel a part of it because if they're a part of it, man, it makes it so much doper. You, you know how it is. It's like, even if it's just a, a real quick thing that everyone goes, bang, and makes everyone feel like, oh, shit, we're all together as one, bang. I don't think we actually even overthought it or even sat down and went, this is how we want Day of the Dog to be. We just went in trying to make the best Every song exactly. we did was just trying to make the best song we could. What's up? This is Steve. I'm your host on Classic Material. I'm having a great time reliving those days in the mid-2000s, a time when I used to hook up a full colour-coordinated outfit. From the Jordans to the fitted cap, the oversized jersey, everything matched. And the finishing touch was always the G-Shock. I had a bunch in different colours to match different sneakers. But the G-Shock isn't some relic from the past. G-Shocks are still as durable as ever, but now they also measure your heart rate, VO2 max and more. You can still sync them with your outfit, but now you can sync them to your phone too. Take a look at the range today at gshock.com.au. We've spoken about the outside influences that made Day of the Dog what it is contemporary US hip-hop, producers like Weapon X, and the group's experience on the road. But one thing that was purely a Bliss and Esso initiative was music videos. We've covered this already, but I'll say it again. There was very little money in Australian hip-hop at this point. Shooting a music video was massive. Most artists didn't bother shooting them. Some would shoot one if they were lucky. For Day of the Dog, Bliss and Esso shot five. Yeah. We would have made videos for every song if we could because we are visual yeah. artists. I had just come out of doing film and sound at uni. So I was had the, like the first DV cam and I was making all, yeah, making heaps of our original video clips. I mean, if we could make the film clips we want to make, we'd, we'd need millions and millions of dollars. And not to, not to waste it and smoke machines and all that. But we were we're into our movies and we wanted to be able to like visually represent our rhymes. If you if your brain isn't creative enough to paint the pictures that we're painting for you, then we're gonna have to go extra, do some film clips to be able to like push that. And our ideas were always so bloody huge. And it was just like, okay, how can we cut it back? How can we cut it back? Yeah. We'd make video clips for everything. If we could. They didn't make a video clip for everything. Day of the Dog had 16 tracks, but almost a third of the songs on the album had a music video. Party at My Place. Mad Tight. 
Dental now. Up jump the boogie. And copping it sweet. All got the visual treatment. And Bliss and Esso wouldn't have it any other way. In fact, it was all part of the plan. As Adam Janke reveals, the group were totally focused on investing in their music. They were happy to forego 50K advances and go, we want a guarantee of five music videos with a budget of 10,000 per video. That's what we want. We don't want the cash. We want the budget, which showed that they were prepared to put back into their career. They were stakeholders in their own music. It wasn't that situation that people had, and especially through that era of sign a record deal, get a million-dollar advance, wipe your fucking hands, sit back, and everyone's going to kiss your dick, basically. You know what I mean? And I need to edit that out. But, uh, yeah, like it, it was it was a situation of we're going to put back in. Speaking to Bliss, you can hear that just having the ability to negotiate five music videos into the contract was a big part of Bliss and Esso switching from a small indie label to a part of the Mushroom Group. Without getting into specifics, we negotiated a really good deal. and. And part of it was we were all about investing in ourselves. So I was like, it wasn't about getting money, blowing it. It was about, no, no, put it back into the music. Let's grow. Let's build this thing. And they saw the vision and they, they were really supportive at the time and really helped us take that, those next steps. Because Obese was like, started as a freaking graffiti slash hip hop store that suddenly had this need, this niche to fill of like, well, there's all these artists. We'll just be the ones to get it out. But there was no... You know, in the early days, there was no real infrastructure. We were This was the first time we were going into a full-blown mushroom empire infrastructure with all the different facets and all the different departments. So suddenly, all these resources jumped out at us like that we hadn't really had. But I remember, the, I didn't even know what the fucking video treatment was. And they were like, okay, cool. We're going to get, get here's some directions to get a treatment. I'm like, what the fuck's a treatment? And they sent us the treatment for Up Jump the Boogie. That was the first video clip we shot for the, with, with Elusive for Day of the Dog. You can imagine that at the time, the temptation to take the advance would have been enormous. A couple of young guys who had been working retail and carny jobs to make ends meet, trying to make it in the world of Australian hip-hop. A cash advance on a record deal would really help. But instead, they used that money to bet on themselves. And the bet got up. The music videos helped us get more exposure because like we talked about with Channel V, there was all these other avenues at the time. Like Cam, I literally was just talking to Cam, our producer, and he was like, I remember specifically all continually seeing Dental Now on Channel V and I couldn't escape you guys. You guys were in our faces all the time. And th that's a perfect example of how that helped. It was just another avenue at the time. This was before like YouTube was a big thing and all that. Like it was really on TV. The shit was this, you saw video clips on TV. So it's just another avenue to get us out there. And it definitely, it definitely helped. Every great hip hop duo has that perfect balance, like Big Boy and Andre or Chuck and Flav. Bliss and Esso were no different. We've spoken about Esso, a truly unique person who as Weapon X said previously, is a force of nature. And he was balanced perfectly with Bliss, who is as devoted to the craft as anyone. He's just as creative as Esso and willing to put his head down and do the work, but do it perfectly. It was the creative drive and determination of Bliss that really made those music videos happen. Adam Janke remembers just what it was like to work with Bliss. 
all of that artistic drive is from Bliss. No matter how many good producers and directors and videographers and special effects guys you surround yourself with, for Bliss and Esso, the perfection and intent to create superior quality output and content was always driven by the band and always driven by Jonathan, by Bliss, and still to this very day is as anal as ever before about all that sort of stuff. There's people over the years that refused to work with Bliss and Esso for a second time after they experienced what it was like to have Jonathan stand over your shoulder or sit next to you for 12 hours until it's done and be like, no, just go back to that frame again. Just 1% up on this. No, it needs to be one more percent. Uh, just go back. Uh, we've already rendered and output the whole thing. It's going to take two hours. That's cool. I've got two hours. But again, like, you want success? That's what it takes. That's what separates you from the rest. Do it and do it properly. Those guys instilled a lot of those things in me, which I've carried through life. In the next episode of Classic Material, The Making of Day of the Dog, Bliss and Esso continue to make their live show their foundation until their tour manager tells them promoters are scared to book them unless they clean up their act. Classic Material is a co-production of Acclaim Magazine and Complex AU, presented by G-Shock. Written, researched, and narrated by Steve Duck for On The Lines. Edited by Rohit Mukherjee for Posterboy Media. Executive producer Andrew Montel for Archetype Media. <laughs>